0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان قاف 15 9 من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن وَنَزَّلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً مُبَارَكًا فَأَنْبَتْنَا بِهِ جَنَّاتٍ وَحَبَّ الْحَصِيدِ والنخل بَاسِقَاتٍ لَّهَا طلع النَّضِيدِ رِزْقًا لِلْعِبَادَ وَاحِيِنَا بِهِ بَلْتًا مَيْتًا كَذَلِكَ الْخُرُوجِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responding to the Contention of the non-believers that how is resurrection possible? That is it even beyond anyone's capability to resurrect. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, reveals ayat that speak of His ability and His creativity through uh, tangible signs. So they are the abstract signs. And they're real science, concrete and tangible. Uh, So here, in the previous ayah, he spoke about uh, the earth, the heaven, and everything else that he has created. And then in this series of ayah, he's going to speak about uh, other in ina'maat and bounties and gifts that he has created for human beings which shows his ability his creativity and more than anything else his generosity so here allah says we send down from the sky a mubarak water that water that is filled with barakah, okay, meaning rain, uh, sometimes snow, sometimes sleet, and other uh, means of precipitation. It's all based on the idea that uh, they are all forms of water. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not just rain and water, it is ma'am mubarakal. So there is a description that it is qualified by being one of immense barakah, where the benefit and the effect of this water is huge, and it benefits everybody. And that is how Allah creates. Allah's creation is full of barakah. Tabaraka. As you know, some of the surahs of the Quran begin with the word tabaraka. The one who is so high and lofty that he creates simply for the benefit of the creation. So here, when you understand, Allah Subhanahu wa gives us here um, some examples of the barakah, and based on that, you can make qiyas and draw analogies to other forms of barakah. فَأَمْبَتْنَا بِهِ جَنَّاتِهِمْ so, through that water, we cause to grow many forms of gardens, vegetation, plants, uh, etc. Yeah. So, here we see that uh, depending on what type of earth and soil there is, things will grow. So, water is now seen as something that gives life. It is life-giving. So, that is the greatest form of baraka, that's something that is beneficial in of itself and something that gives life. As Allah says, We have made every living thing from water. So water is the source of life, which is a huge nirma. It's the nirma upon which every other nirma rests. So without water there is no life. And so on. So this is the uh, far reaching effects of one of Allah's creation which He sends down out of His rahmah, out of His uh, compassion, and out of His generosity. Jannatu wa habba al and also fruit that is harvested, grain that is harvested, mm, fodder, habba. Here means fodder, uh, something that you harvest and you eat. Hasid, harvest. Hasid is something that you're able to harvest and you reap and you benefit from it. So now there's grain, which is one meaning of hab, and the other meaning of hab can also be fodder, that you use that to feed yourselves, to feed your animals, and everything else that needs feeding. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes all of this grow through one source and that source is water. This is how the benefit there of Allah's creation goes further than the thing itself, the creation itself. So other creation will benefit from Allah's creation in sequence as a domino effect. So, Hasid is very important for us to appreciate that when Allah sends you a gift, he makes it easy for you to consume the gift. Um, yeah. So that is another form, another level of generosity from the word barakah, huh? mubarakan, and so on. وَالنَّخْلَبَا And those very tall palm trees, very, very tall, that they extend to the heavens. And their roots are very firm. And uh, they grow in a place where usually there's no water. Mm. So another sign of his creativity uh, that he allows trees that give fruit. mm, And they survive in places where there is no water usually. They need a certain amount of rain, rainfall uh, throughout the year and then they have so much barakah that they extend towards the heavens and they give fruit which is beneficial for those people who otherwise won't have greens and vegetables in their immediate surroundings. Hmm. So they'll give them nourishment and food which becomes their fodder. So the Habbal Hasid is where there is rainfall. Hmm. And these are Nakhl is where there is usually very little rainfall. So that is the essence of Allah's barakah, that it doesn't matter what type of uh, topography you live in and live on, Allah will make sure you are fed this way. But this is all through the barakah of the rain and the water that Allah Wa ta'ala sends down. The haatal al nadeed, which has now a cluster. They grow in clusters of tal'un, nadid, that you can harvest them also. So it's also pleasant to look at, and it's also very very beneficial when you harvest them, bring them down, and you start eating them, and you do so many things with dates, as we know, mashallah. All of this is for one reason, lil ibad that the purpose here, that Allah makes everything grow through water, is to provide risk for his servants. That Allah doesn't eat the fruits of his creation. The creation eats the fruit of Allah's creation. So it is risk, but the risk is something that is consumed and something that is now going to become part of the human being. And the human being will now gain benefit and gain energy and health and everything else through this. And that is how you tie this in with the word Mubarakan. It's full of so much barakah that it is endless. Yeah, so the end yeah, is Rizq. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah Huar arzaqu. And illah Allah that everyone's risk is written for Allah, that Allah provides risk. So there are means of risk and then there is risk. So the point is if you get stuck in the means of risk and you don't eat the risk, then obviously you're not you know the most successful person in the world. You have means of earning, and then at the end of when you acquire those means, if you don't eat anything except perhaps a salad, there's something very wrong with you. Very, very wrong. You're deprived of risk. You may not be deprived of money, but you're deprived of risk. So here, Allah says, the purpose of all of this system is to provide risk which is consumed, not risk which may be consumed. So that's how you may want to think about your economic system. Make sure there's food on the table uh, with or without money. Lil Ibad for the servants, those who believe in Allah and believe in his rahmah, believe in his uh, karam, his generosity. This is for them to understand, because they are the ones who understand the purpose of creation, and they understand the creator. Hmm? This now, Allah says, now look at all of this, observe this system. And now, how do you draw an analogy from this to the main point, which is resurrection? Huh? That in uh, winter, after the autumn, after the harvest, everything dies. Mm-hmm. There's no color left in the plants, in the trees, and in the leaves. And everything dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everything dwindles, and then uh, in the winter, nothing can grow. Even if any, you wanted things to grow in winter, they wouldn't be able to grow. And then spring comes, the rain comes, and then all of a sudden, subhanAllah, you see life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Allah is using this to show the non-believer that bihi That through this water we revive a land and a city that is dead. It is not alive. It is dead. Then all of a sudden it becomes alive through this one substance, this one Nirma that Allah sends down from the heavens. Thus, likewise, uh, the resurrection will be. The coming out of human beings uh, from their graves is like the plants and the trees and the fruits coming out after the rain comes down in spring. It's the same thing. He can do all this, and he does this at a universal level, which is spectacular. He doesn't does do, do, do this uh, you know, somewhere here in Glendale Heights. This is everywhere in the world, this phenomenon is true. It's an amazing miracle that this happens. And everybody benefits from this. there are billions and billions of people who benefit from this process, uh, who benefit from this creation. When they see the land is dead, there's no hope that the land will be revived. Now, all of a sudden, a few months later, they know something's coming. And they, all of a sudden, now have bread. And they have uh, vegetables and they have fruits on their table. And then also their animals are now very healthy. And then they eat from the animals and so on. So this is a universal phenomenon you know, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala feeds everybody. And the process by which he feeds is always that first there is no life and then there is life. So just as the plants emerge from the dead ground, likewise, human beings also emerge from the dead on the Day of Judgment. It's just a a question of you you appreciating the creator. So if your creator is omnipotent and able, then you will not limit his creativity to this dunya. Then you will say there is another place where his creativity will be manifested a thousand, hundred, thousand, million times more. It's just that the place of creativity will change. You're limiting his creativity to this world. and The key is to understand there's another world, there's an Akhirah. In that Akhirah, it will be the same creator creating, except the plateau upon which he creates is greater and is much more fertile than this small world gadalik al khuruj the coming out the emergence the emergence of the life inside the earth which is apparently dead now life will emerge who does that allah does that likewise in the other world allah will do the same allah will make sure everybody emerges as they are dead very simple analogy if you're not stubborn about it and if you're not uh, caught up with the uh, unnecessary uh, philosophy that you choose to uh, improvise and you choose to uh, you know, stuff down people's throats through your skepticism and through your algorithms and through your mathematics and your science and how can this work? Human beings now have come to a point through technology where they, they can create life themselves. It's called stem cell. <laughs> and they're amazed by their own abilities to create life. So if you're so fascinated with your ability to create life from a single cell, then why are you fascinated that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala can create life from billions of cells? I mean, they're still there, right, in the grave. Even though the body decomposes, the matter is still there. So why are you surprised? Why don't you look in the mirror and say, oh, I'm a creator, so why can't God be a creator? It's stubbornness, basically. It's just foolishness, being so passionate about you and not compromising to the idea that there's someone better than you who can do things better. But his creation is full of barakah, whereas your creation may yield some barakah somewhere. But it's nowhere near the barakah. Of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. <laughs> this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wants the human being to understand and compare himself to Allah and then compare all the other creation of Allah to a future creation. And Allah will do that because He is the Raziq. And he is the Razak, and he does this not necessarily uh, so that uh, you rebel and you uh, you know uh, deny Allah's power, but he wants you to appreciate what Allah does for you. Now, in this world, he, he usually he won't you know discriminate between a Muslim and non-Muslim. Therefore, he says Risqul lil Ibad, hmm? and this is the risk for all people, especially those who think of Allah's abilities. So it's a question of taking time out and showing gratitude to Allah. As far as those people who did not show gratitude, then there is a, another system, another nizam that Allah has, which played out in history. So history obviously has its own rules. History is its own beast, if you want to call it that. History has its own life. And it has rules, and history always follows its own rules. And that is what's mentioned here. So previously, before these people, before, before the people of Makkah and the Quraysh, the people of Nuh denied... And they rejected, they refuted the prophets, Nuh, and they did not accept his message. They didn't believe in anything he was saying. And they were well-to-do established people. They are a huge civilization, maybe a global one, that uh, there was no Nabi before, Nuh, that came to warn people as a whole nation. Uh, whole qawm, except Nuh salam. so he went everywhere and obviously these people lived on earth they, they had food and they had animals they had uh, cattle and stock and they, they had things uh, in the world mashallah, that they, they enjoyed and so on but they, they rejected the idea that uh, some human being could be actually a prophet and they rejected the idea of Tawheed uh, that Allah is one but the, the, these were huge huge uh, people, in the sense of being almost a global civilization, uh, and so on. So, so, what happened to them was habr ras, and the people of the water. It's basically a well that was not made up. There was there was no wall uh, for the well. So, this is the people of um, uh, ad. Who, the people who came after A'ad. A'ad came before these people. And A'ad, they, they were irrigators. And they knew engineering, and they knew how to access and bring water, and so on. But these people, Sahab of Ras, they also lived in this, almost the same area. They had access to a lot of water, but they weren't as sophisticated as A'ad, but they also denied uh, the profit of their time. Well, Thamud, Thamud, you know, Huge builders, and they were stonemasons, and they carved out homes in mountains. And uh, you know, a lot of power, a lot of uh, authority, uh, as you know, the Thamud and Ad. Firaun, as you know, one of the greatest uh, you know, civilizations and uh, dynasties in the world, in world history, a lot of sophistication, uh, a lot of glory. A lot of royalty, a lot of you know pageantry, a lot of buildings, as you know, and basically a very good life so they were they all had risk. the point is they all had risk, and they all had sophistication, they all had money, they all had power, and so on. the people or the brothers of loot. Uh, uh, those people that Salam was the nephew of ibrahim salam. he was sent to reform this group of people who were into uh, you know perversion and sodomy and all those uh, kind of uh, nasty things that unfortunately human beings do was well, people of the forest uh, referring to Salam again a huge economic power they were strategically located in the middle east where all the caravans of trade came to them they had to pass through them and so in order for them to get to asia and in order for them to get to you know africa they had to pass through these people and also they they obviously were monopolizing all the trade routes and all the other resources that allah uh, gave them and then interesting group of people um, they're mentioned twice in the Qur'an, one here, one in Surah Dukhan, uh, and so on. But I think they, these were a, a group of people, uh, a dynasty out in the southern Arabia, the Yemeni uh, origins, or they were Yemeni themselves. And they ruled quite an extensive piece of land. Some people say they, they rule extended all the way to Samarkand, from Yemen to Samarkand and parts of Africa and so on. So their story is that one of their leaders passed by Yathrab, Medina before. It became Medina, uh, was Yathrab. And they passed by there. They wanted to attack Yathrab. So they were then met with uh, the rabbis, Jewish rabbis, and they told them, you can't touch this place. This is the place of the last prophet. Uh, this is before the Prophet ﷺ came. And the, uh, the, the uh, the ruler of the king who was fighting, he was very impressed with the story, and he said, okay, I'll take you and everybody else to Yemen. So they went and they went back to Yemen. They stayed there, and the, the, the people of Tubba, I the Prophet said in one hadith, don't curse Tubba, he was a Muslim. So he himself, and that's what Allah said, al-tubba, the people of Tubba, who later on reverted back to shirk and back to kufr, uh, and so on. they were destroyed hmm? all of these people they denied, rejected, refuted the messengers okay. yeah, one is to um, you know not believe in Allah, and the second is to systematically destroy the mission of a Rasul hmm? So the Tawheed might have existed in the world in different forms, uh, in different languages, and so on. But the the punishment comes when you deny the Hmm? Rasul, when you deny a messenger. So it's now the human institution that Allah wants you to respect, the human authority. The human authority is the Rasul. The Rasul is always human. Hmm? so when you reject a human being who now is clearly a messenger and you punish him or you persecute him or you kill him or you fight him then you're punished so now my stern warning and promise was fulfilled allah says So the stern promise and uh, warning was that I will now destroy you if you mess with my messenger. Allah said, you mess with me, that's fine. (laughs) Whatever that is, you can not mess with the messenger. So the importance here is of the human institution. You have to respect the human being. He's known as God. This hukukullah, hukukul ibad, believing in the messenger is hukuku rasul, and he's an abd. That's hukukul hmm. ibad. Yeah. So you can't deny the messenger. Yeah. Yes. So everywhere Allah, this punishment is always attached with the messenger. Yeah. You believe in the messenger who is human, Allah's rahmah comes. You don't believe in a human being. Uh, And you do things to him, Allah's adab comes. Uh, That's one. And the other is dhulm. Two reasons for punishment. Mm -hmm. Dhulm obviously means you're messing around with all other human beings and you're unjust and so on. Mm -hmm. So here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that that in, 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 in in the worldly context, in history, it was always the refusal to believe in a human being that brought down Allah's wrath. Not necessarily refusal to believe in Allah, because that's the rule of history. So you have to appreciate this, because it's a point now that you know certain people uh, don't actually appreciate, and it seeps through in their ideology, their philosophy the almost perverted idea of islam hmm? now somehow it's islam without the rasul so when people present islam nowadays is always without the rasul i went to a place not too far from here in another state i gave a simple talk and then one guy from the audience came to me and he said you know sheikh the, i've been here 5 years I've never heard anybody talk about the Rasul. I've never heard anybody talk about the Prophet in five years. And that, unfortunately, community is nowhere. It's upside down. So you have to understand what I'm saying. It's very important. It is the human institution Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to establish on earth. If you mess with that, then you're messing with Allah, personally, and he will take care of you. Now, fortunately for us, alhamdulillah, since we have two types of ummah, one ummah that receives and accepts the mission, and the other ummah uh, which denies the mission, they're still part of the ummah. So since that is there, no one here after Rasul is going to be punished totally. So that's why everybody's left alone. But it's creeping into the Muslim Ummah. Uh, It it controls the ideology, philosophy of Muslims nowadays where Islam exists without the Rasul. That's a tragedy. It's also a bidah. So you cannot Divorce Islam from the Rasul that way, Muhammad, Rasulullah, Muhammad is the Rasul of Allah. He must dominate your thought, your ideology, your philosophy, your spirit. It is because of him that you are a Muslim. If you don't believe in anything he says, you're not a Muslim, basically. So the way we worship is the way he worships. It's very clear. If you worship any other way besides Muhammad it's not accepted, it's not valid, it's not Islamic. Hmm. So what here in this ayah this obviously a sidetrack from the purpose of the ayah itself but it's an important point that as we develop our understanding of Islam, as we promote Islam in our homes it's not just the moral, logical value of Islam it is the love of the Rasul that the spirit has to be there. The love of the Rasul has to be there. If if that is not there, then your Islam is deficient. Uh, And uh, that that will eventually corrupt you and your understanding. So you have to put a human face onto Islam. Once you put a human face, then uh, people will see, oh, this is actually human. Uh, And then obviously people reject because it's human. (laughs) People want abstract philosophy and ideology. Confusion, as I said before. People love confusion. They want remain in confusion because it's sophisticated. They can't accept the simple idea that this is a human religion. It's a human institution. It's called ittiba, follow the human being in your thinking, in your methodology, in your dealings, whatever, in your worship. And so on. So here Allah says, uh, Each one of these people, all these great civilizations who had the world uh, underneath their feet because they denied the Rasul, my promise was fulfilled. Hmm? Yeah. So that's what we need to do. That if you're going to advance the cause of Islam and Muslims, you must advance the Prophet wasallam first, not last. Now, this is about representing the Prophet wasallam. It's not about representing you and your ideology and your philosophy. Anyway, this is something that we, alhamdulillah, uh, appreciate. It is because of him that we know the Qur'an so, Oh, now going back to creation Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, look I created this way I created all human beings I create the heavens and the earth I send down rain which is so beneficial to everybody and I provide risk for everybody who needs risk this is all creativity this is power hmm. so now this is my first creation do you think that uh, we have become tired by the first creation, that we are now sometimes somewhat fatigued by creating all this. That we're never fatigued, right? He never gets tired of protecting the heavens and the earth. He doesn't get tired, he doesn't need any energy. He is because he is. He sustains himself and he sustains everything is, everything else because he is. Okay, so there, there's no power in the worldly terms that keeps him alive. Uh, he exists by himself. Uh, so here Allah is saying that if you look at all of this, the macro and the micro and you think now we're tired, that we need a day rest. We need to rest a day. Well another philosophy. Or you just assume there's too much. How can one being create all of this? It's not possible. Mm, So the the, the other side of shirk is atheism. The shirk was a way out of denying the ability of Allah to create everything. Atheism said, we just don't believe in that one being either. (laughs) Much easier. Balhum fi min The fact of the matter is that they're just confused about a new creation. Hmm. They're confused about a new creation. They're not able to understand how a new creation emerges. But it emerges every year through the seasons. Every year there's a new creation. Every month there's a new hilal, a new moon. Hmm. And every year there's a new life. So anyway, so as we understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's a very simple understanding that there is new creation everywhere all the time. So whether it's in history, whether it's in nature, uh, whether it's in academics, there, oh, there's always something new. And technology tells you, you know, you're going to have to change your phone next year. It's, it's a new phone. So just observe how life is on this planet, and you'll see that it is very, very possible for the uh, complete being, the perfect being, to create a fresh and a new. There's always a new creation that he should be now looking for and looking towards. This applies at a macro level, meaning the qiyamah, that there will be death uh, on the universe. Death will come on to the universe, and there will be a new creation. But it's also micro, and uh, Islam represents the micro new creation all the time. It's also a new creation. Every salat is a new salat. Huh? The Prophet him, your iman is also a new, it's fresh. Jaddidu imanakum bi ilaha illallah, something like that. Renew your iman by saying, La ilaha illallah. When you say, La ilaha illallah as a dhikr, you're renewing your iman. So that's not something new. It's jadid, And that can only be if you're creation. You know, Allah is not renewed. Allah doesn't renew himself. He's, he is the way he is. Eternal. But you, the proof that you are creation, is that you're always new. And you need new things. Depending on how, mashallah, consumed you are uh, with the dunya. You need new clothes. You need new shoes. You need new cars. You need new houses. You need everything new. You can't eat the food that is a day old as, as yesterday's. You need new food. You crave... New things is part of your inner conscious subconscious that the human being by design wants something new all the time. So, why don't you want a new creation at the macro level? You want to remain in this kind of pathetic world where you know, nothing really happens for our benefit? Don't you want something new? I mean, you should. I mean, this I is now appealing to the inner subconscious of all human beings. That you, you, you want new things all the time in your life. So why don't, want, why don't you want a new beginning in terms of life? So there's a new beginning. And that new beginning is the Akhirah. Is you know, Jannah, basically. Why don't you want that? And then you're not really being human, you're being stubborn. You have hidden your humanness, which is the meaning of Kufr. Kufr means to hide. When you hide your Fitrah, uh, this is what happens. And anyway, so it applies at the macro level, It applies at the micro level, and as I said, Islam will incorporate the newness in everything. So every year, Salm, Ramadan is renewed, yeah. every year, Zakat is renewed. Mm. Yeah, so that's how Islam, that your Hajj is once in a lifetime. But you, you renew that also because when you go for Hajj and you do it properly, you come out. See how the Prophet phrased that? It is as if the day his mother gave birth, so it's a new birth. You're in Hajj. Huh? So the muslim must understand obviously all of the applications of this ayah that muslims have it good allah has given them something to renew all the time all the way from iman to amal salihah to sawm salat zakat hajj everything's renewed. So that's such a perfect system that it you know it 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 maintains your subconscious it man, maintains your Inner feeling of being renewed all the time. Whenever we do wudu, we feel renewed. Whenever you take ghusl, you feel renewed. Right? Yeah. So this now is something that uh, it applies at the macro level, it applies at the macro level, micro level. So when you have new knowledge, you feel that you are a new person. And so on you can think about it and It applies wherever you'll find anything that is Islamic it will always make sure that you renew and you don't stay in the same state ever As, uh, the of Allah says if anyone's two days are the same then he's a loss so today must be better than yesterday and if you're the same as yesterday then you're in a state of loss so today must be better or something must change yeah so that's a proof that you are creation because you was constantly changing constantly changing yeah. and allah doesn't change he allows change he makes sure you change so if you're a newborn baby mashallah and you are the greatest gift to everybody on the planet then one day you go to your grave so that changed that whole process, make sure that you change. So change now is jadeed, as opposed to qadim, as opposed to something that's eternal, unchangeable, and ancient, and old, and so on. So this is how you say the, the, the values of Tawheed, they don't change because they're permanent. They come from Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here, <laughs> Allah says, indeed, we have created man, and we know what his nafs whispers to him. Whatever he has in his mind, in his conscious, subconscious, in his inner being, whatever thoughts there are, whatever whispers there are, whatever insinuations there are, even perhaps even whatever ilhamat they are, if you want to take it that way too, mm. inspirations, Allah knows them. That was the, after mentioning the omnipotence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the micro-knowledge that he has. So Allah's knowledge is at the macro level, that he knows everything. Allah's knowledge is at the micro level, where he knows something more than what you might expect from a creator. Mm. So the human beings' actions, they are uh, stimulated, initiated by the inner conscious, subconscious. Whatever those stimuli may be, so it starts from a whisper, uh, which is obviously the lowest form of uh, stimulant. The lowest stimulant is the, the, the whisper, that's shaitani, that's from the shaitan. Shaitani, shaitan will come and he'll insinuate, and then you can follow it through or you don't follow it through. But regardless, Allah knows that whisper. And the reason he says, al-insan," Because we have created him. When you create a machine, you should know how it works. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created this grand machine called insan so he knows how it works, how it functions. To the minute, minute, minute detail of even a whisper. Mm. And that whisper is not from outside the human being, it's from inside the human being. So Allah subhanahu knows the inner mm. feelings and emotions and thoughts and ideas and near intentions of all human beings. And that's how much he knows, how vast his knowledge is and how comprehensive his knowledge is. And, uh, uh, so what, what's the point of this? The point is, when a believer hears this, then he will check his thoughts. Allah knows my thoughts. When a believer is going to do something, Allah knows his intention. So he will check his intention. When, Allah, when a, a servant of Allah knows that Allah knows who I am, then that creates proximity and love and devotion to the Almighty that he knows. He knows me now I have the comfort of knowing that he knows huh? I have the comfort of knowing that he knows when he knows then I'm sure he'll take care of me because that's who he is hmm. but when you come into discussions later on as in, in the Muslim ummah you know, history where people made this into dialectics hmm. and they started discussing you know, is macro knowledge or micro knowledge does he know this? Does he know that? <laughs> then you lose the spirit of the ayah. The spirit of every ayah is to draw you close to Allah, not to drive you away from your destination. So when you start fights, in dialectics and polemics and whatever, then you do not worship Allah the way you should. Now, the Sunni scholars came to the rescue of the Ummah because there are just so many bid'at flying everywhere in the Ummah. So they, they, they had to rescue the Ummah and then have a defense strategy and make sure that people don't go off track by listening to these ideas and making sure there's an orthodoxy, making sure there is a standard Islam in theology. And so that is more of you know, what you call damage control. It wasn't because they actually wanted to initiate the discussion. You know? So you mustn't lose sight of that. So now, now what people are doing, especially these academics and orientalists, is that they're making sure Muslims go back to those fights. Oh, let's discuss what Ibn Sina says about this. Let's discuss what the Razi says. That's not the point. The point is that you should feel comfortable with worshipping someone who knows you. The point was ishq, develop love for Allah, not to fight about the ayah. So there, I think, the, 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 the uh, eventual, inshallah, the path that a Muslim should take uh, as we're trying to kind of negotiate all of these things that are happening in academia, is that what's the point of this? The point is that when I know Allah knows me, I'm very comfortable with that. And I can worship him because he knows everything about me. Oh. When he knows everything about me, he'll take care of me. And that's how you see these ayats. That's the purpose of the revelation. Shaitan comes in and he messes and he gives wasafsa to the Muslims. And what about this woman? <laughs> because the human mind wants to be sophisticated. So he'll create sophisticated language and ideas and then he'll make you fight. And then after you fight, you kill each other. And then when you kill each other, his job is done. You don't want to go that way as a society, as a civilization, even if they're just academic. But since they are there, we as in academia have to talk about them, but it should not be open debate. It should not be from the member. That you start talking about these things. From the Mimba you say worship Allah, read your Quran, be close to Allah, give sadaqah, give zakat, be a nice Muslim. Right? That's the intent of the sharh. Ali said so they should be islahi and not necessarily ilmi, in terms of uh, making sure that you uh, you know, understand the purpose of revelation is to bring you close to Allah. And not to drive you away from Allah. And so on. So, الوريد, which is a huge ayah. As most of you know, that we are closer to Him, meaning to Insan, uh, than His jugular vein. Because he has various veins, uh, obviously, in the human body. And this is one vein, uh, which is from the word warada, where there is life. Their life depends on this one. The habal obviously also means rope. So it's the, the rope of life, basically, which obviously is your vein. And so on. Anyway, without going to the biology of this, which is, again, not the intent of the shahar, to study this, I, what does habal worry? I understand medicine. I'm, I'm, I'm a doctor. I want to know what this means. It means that Allah is closer to you than you are to yourself. That's it. Hmm? Don't over-sophisticate the issue. It's okay if you don't know. And it's more than okay if the Sahaba didn't know the science behind it. Why? Because the Sahaba actually understood the ayah in terms of practice. And their conscious and their subconscious was always in sync with Allah because they had this ayah. Well, wow, Allah is closer to me than I am to myself, so... He must know what's better for me than I know. Islam. I submit my will to Allah. That's the purpose. Now, obviously, will go in. For the sake of tafsir, they might say a few things here and there, but it doesn't mean that the medical community should now jump onto the bandwagon of tafsir and say, Now we know, because we are medical people, and we will show the Ummah that we know more than what the Sahaba knew which obviously diminishes your iman immediately. Mm. Immediately. You can't say that. There's no way you know what the sahaba <laughs> You never saw the Prophet wasallam. Anyway, so what I'm saying is that, yes, there is a possible discussion academically in terms of the science. You may discuss it for a few minutes here and there and say, okay, let's move on. Have you developed taqwa because of this ayah? Are you a better person now that uh, you know Allah is closer to you than you are to yourself? If you have, then the ayah goes and the ayah fits for you and fits you. But if you haven't, then you miss the boat. So mere theory is not the intent of the revelation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is now that you observe the ayah in you. So now, when you're worshipping Allah and you you know that you're standing there and you're in salat, then as you know, Allah is closer to me than I am to myself. Then that is the beginning of Ihsan. That's how your Ihsan, the process of Ihsan, starts by knowing this ayah. Allah is closer to me than I am to myself. No. I don't move until Allah says, move. Throughout salat, mechanically at least. So that's how the Sahaba understood this ayah, uh, so that they would become closer to Allah, and they would develop more love for Allah, uh, more gratitude, and they would be more obedient servants of Allah, rather than, you know, fall into this kind of in you know, cesspit of you know, kind of over-analyzing what this hablul Wareed is. You can make a case linguistically, the مُفَسِرُونَ will say only because of linguistics. What does the word of the Qur'an mean? Where does it come from? And so on. So in terms of the syntax, in terms of the etymology, in terms of how it's used, etc. But they never overlooked the point that this has to help you be a good servant of Allah. It has to inspire you. As I said, human beings, they they, they are activated, their thoughts are activated and their stimuli and so on. So then the stimulant that you want with this ayah is that Allah then stimulates you. Not that shaitan stimulates you or your aql stimulates you or your knowledge stimulates you. You say Allah stimulates me. How? Because I obey Allah. When you obey Allah, that's a sign that Allah is stimulating you. So that's how you may want to uh, appraise this ayah by, by, by uh, seeing how it affects you physically, mentally, intellectually, and spiritually. Does it affect you? If it doesn't affect you, then there's something missing. Then you may want to go to somebody who tells you how to implement this ayah. And it's very simple. When you're in salat salah, at least... Even outside of Salat, you can do this. You know Allah is closer to me than I am to myself. So my worship uh, is on the back of Allah's knowing that I'm praying. That, that brings you close to Allah immediately, instantaneously. It, it's, uh, you know, it's magical. You don't need anything else. This one eye will help you love and serve Allah. Much more than you know, 50,000 lectures or reading the Karamat of Shaykh Abdul Qarajilani. This I just sit down and think about it. Allah is closer to me than my of vein, the source of my life. Meaning that he is beyond the source of my life because he creates the of vein and he creates the thoughts and he creates me. That's how now uh, you become a servant of Allah. So the the, the idea always is not to make something over-academic. Was make sure that you follow the rules. And that's why the mutaqaddimun, meaning the Sahaba, the Tabi'in, and the Tabi'in, although they had immense academic knowledge, much more than we can think of, they were the greatest servants of Allah. They worshipped Allah much more than we can imagine, much more. It never stopped them from being servants, so it never stopped them from worshipping. Allah. They did mujahadat and ibadat and they, they fasted and they did dhikr and they were consumed by the service of Allah. But they knew this also. So now when you separate knowledge and you say this is academic and this is spiritual and then that's what happens. There's no dichotomy there in Islam. With the Sahaba, with the Prophet with the Tabi'in, there was no dichotomy. This is what Allah wants us to do, and this is how we understand this, amar, and this is what we're going to do. So their, 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 their knowledge did not preclude them from doing ibad. Mm. So, now, so now I've heard a lecture on what Imam Ghazali says about uh, sabr. Okay, you've heard the lecture. What next? How about inculcating a little bit of sabr? Uh, well, I, I can analyze Sabah the way you know. Because I know sabha, nah, good, good for you. But uh, when I go home, I don't have any Saba. Yeah. So that's out of the window. <laughs> your knowledge is useless because you didn't let it seep through into you, into your behavior. Uh, so with ayat like these, that immediately because we've read a few books here and there. Uh, Shaykh, tell me about Hablul Warid. What is Hablul Warid? There's only one thing about Hablul Warid. is you should become a perfect servant of Allah. That's what Hablul Warid is. Hmm? Yes, yeah, jugular vein, whatever, how many types of veins that they are. That's all academic. It's of no use to you if you don't implement the whole ayah into your thought process and into your behavior that when you are with Allah then you must know Allah is closer to you than you are to yourself so maybe he's with you and you're not with him so it's flipped the whole paradigm is flipped and when you flip the paradigm then you're a servant of Allah if you don't flip the paradigm then you're an arrogant person I'm with Allah, oh wow I am with Allah (laughs) that's such a claim Allah is with me and that is now ishq. That is what the Prophet them did. And that is what the Sahaba did. And all the great uh, awliya of Allah, that's what they did. And that's how they looked at these ayat from the per- perspective of implementation. Uh, how do I implement this ayat? What is now the benefit for me knowing this? So the benefit is that I draw closer to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not that I can write ten books on it. You can still write ten books and worship Allah too. Which is what happened in the early Ummah. They, they had the knowledge, but they neg- never gave up their practice. In fact, they would increase their practice. And so, it's, anyway, it's a, just a different paradigm. If you change or flip the paradigm, you'll get to the, the purpose and the intent that hopefully Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to uh, abide by. Be it the We'll stop here. (laughs) Jazakumullah Khair. Next week, uh, we have a change in the the program. There will be a session here from 11. It will be a special session. I won't tell you what it is. But the tafsir will be at 12. Just for next week. So you're invited to join both sessions. Inshallah. (laughs) Jazakumullah Khair. SubhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. 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 Alhamdulillah.